gonna be scary. Not for us. All engine running. Liftoff. Start on Thompson. Steps right. Shoots for the win. of three. He got it. He got it. Same my first rodeo. Westbrook to the basket. Turns Schroeder around. Russell Westbrook. House the three and the lead. You betcha. Covington biggest shot of the game and he hits it. The corner. P.J. Tucker. Time to you know, accomplish something together that we haven't accomplished before. We both understand that we have one common goal, and that's to win a championship. So <laughs> let's get it. Okay, okay, okay. I'm not going to spend the entire 30-minute podcast washing my hands, although maybe I should, all things considered, seeing as how the NBA has suspended its season until further notice because of the coronavirus outbreak. (sighs) What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Or maybe we should go by our new name, Locked on Purell, your daily podcast home for everything antibacterial disinfectant, part of the Locked on Epidemiology Network, your team doesn't play. Hat tip to at Space City Empire on Twitter for that little tidbit there. I thought it was kind of funny. But yeah, so here we are. The NBA has suspended all further action. So no games, no nothing. The G League has also been suspended and all of this coming on a very strange evening, I mean, I literally sat in my car for about an hour and a half just kind of scrolling through news on Twitter and trying to keep up with everything that was going on, but to the best of my knowledge, just literally minutes before the tip-off of the Utah Jazz Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City Thunder game, should say, in OKC, one of the lead staff for, I want to say it was the Utah Jazz, comes rushing out onto the court, talks to the referees postpones the game and from there we eventually find out that Rudy Gobert tested positive for coronavirus so then Woj and Shams both reported very quickly that the NBA was shutting down the season so it's using the term temporary hiatus now I would imagine that this is going to be at least probably a month-long ordeal if not even longer and there's a lot of speculation there's a lot of different things that you know are surrounding this a lot of different logistics and you know how the NBA is going to approach this whether or not they're just going to postpone play for a month or a month and a half or pick back up where they left off start the playoffs immediately if the season does kick back in at some point there's a lot to take away from this and so I'm still personally trying to wrap my head around it this is you know, it's honestly, it's kind of funny looking back. Um, I take over this podcast and 
back in October. And immediately after taking over, we have the China Gate thing go on with Daryl Morey. And now kind of, you know, in fitting fashion to wrap up this potential NBA season, we have the coronavirus, you know, a pandemic outbreak. So this hasn't been, you know, a normal season to cover by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, for my first go around as a member of the Locked On Network and, you know, hosting Locked On Rockets, it's definitely been an interesting ride to say the least. So I'm still personally trying to wrap my head around a lot of this and kind of Obviously, as the news keeps spreading, this this news cycle is moving so fast. You know, by the time I can record anything and get it published and get it out there, the news is almost dated by the time we do it. In fact, in this podcast specifically, it was originally recorded, and we'll get to segments two and three here in just a moment with Ben Dubose, Rockets Wire editor, because I didn't want to throw those out because those do have to do with the Houston Rockets and. They may or may not be relevant depending on how the NBA decides to proceed regarding the remainder of this season, but I do still want to get to that because I think we had some healthy conversation about the Houston Rockets, and maybe that can be something to take you know everybody's minds off of this at least for a short while. But our first segment that we recorded together, we spent most of the segment discussing the coronavirus and discussing how this may or may not impact the NBA and some of the steps that have been taken up to this point had to chunk that entire section because... Everything moved so fast. We recorded that on Wednesday afternoon, evening, and then it was just not but two or three hours later that the news broke out that Rudy Gobert was basically the NBA's patient zero. And look, Rudy's little so for those that don't know and that don't follow me on Twitter to see, you know, what I retweet and put back out there, basically Rudy Gobert decided to pull a stunt a couple days ago. It was Monday afternoon or evening, and he was at the press conference table, either for a pregame interview or a postgame interview or something, and he made a show of touching every single microphone being sat at that table as kind of a, you know, showing his thumb kind of gesture at the whole, you know, six to eight feet rule regarding reporters and players. And now whether Rudy was doing that in support of the media potentially by saying, you know, this is a stupid rule. We don't need to be separated or whether he was making fun of coronavirus itself and, you know, kind of making light of the entire situation. I don't know. Now, hindsight being 2020, it, this does not look good for Rudy. This was a, it was a really boneheaded thing to do. And I even said that on Twitter myself. I didn't, I don't really approve of it. It didn't make any sense at the time. And looking back now, it's even worse considering that he is patient zero for the NBA. So I would be hard pressed to imagine that there's not going to be some type of ramifications for those actions leveraged towards him at some point. But right now, prayers up for Rudy Gobert. I do hope that he gets better. And I mean, the fallout from this, you've got people now tracking all the different teams the Jazz have played over the the last, you know, 14-day span because that's about how long that the virus can incubate for. And there's all sorts of different logistics with, okay, the Jazz played these teams, which means Rudy Rudy Gobert came in contact with these players, so now you have to quarantine these officials, these players, these announcers, all this different stuff. And so by and large, I think it's the right decision by the NBA to suspend everything. I know that a lot of us would rather that, you know, the game still go on so that we would have some level of, you know, maybe a distraction for everything that's going on and kind of taking our minds off of the coronavirus. But 
At the same time, you have to worry about the health and safety of the players, the people that they come in contact with on a daily basis, their families, their friends, all that stuff. And so I think this is ultimately the right move by the NBA. And a guy who has already been pretty vocal about this, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, has already basically come out and said that in regards to the hourly employees and the staff that he, you know, the seasonal employees and whatnot that he has who help run events for his organization, he's going to try and find a way to take care of those employees because they, you know, there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of people, tens of thousands, maybe, I don't know. I'm bad at math. We know this by now, but there's going to be tons of people displaced by not having work for the next, however long that the NBA season is suspended for. And so for Mark Cuban to come out and say that he's planning to put together some type of a package to help take care of these employees in the, in the, in the middle ground, while there is no work for them, I think that's pretty big of Mark Cuban, honestly. I think that, you know, as far as maybe, you know, refunding season ticket holders or partial ticket plan owners, I think that's another right step in the right direction. You know, this is a product that is now not not out there, not being offered, but really going back to the Mark Cuban thing, I think that's big of him. And I hope other owners follow in follow suit and follow his lead by taking care of their employees because at the heart of it all, Tons of stuff doesn't happen at these at these event venues without the employees there to serve food and beverage, to be ticket ushers, to do, you know, administrative stuff, just all the behind the scenes stuff that we kind of take for granted when it comes to these big events. Those people need to be taken care of. And so I think every organization across the entire NBA needs to step up and hopefully do that and accommodate those people. So I think that's kind of basically all my preliminary thoughts on this obviously i will keep you guys up to date as far as the daily podcast schedule that's not going anywhere as of right now that should stay the same we will still continue to be doing a daily podcast um and past that i don't really know we're in we are in very uncharted territory so if you're not already following me on twitter please go do so you guys can follow me on there at jt gatlin um, the show is of course on there at locked on rockets and yeah. So I think with that, that's, that's kind of all I've got. Like I said, I'm still trying to kind of wrap my head around all this, but with that being said, just, um, you know, I, I think just the main takeaway is just do what you can to educate yourself. And I hope that all of you listening to this, whether you're stateside, whether you're in another country, just Educate yourself, stay safe, um, take proper precautions, wash your hands, please, for the love of God, wash your hands. But really, just we'll take this kind of day by day and we'll see where it goes, where it takes us. I will try to use this platform to the best of my abilities to keep everybody informed, um, hopefully to keep everybody entertained on a day-to-day basis. Um, That is the goal, to continue keeping this podcast going every day, five days a week as per usual. And even, I mean, look, my best friend works in public health, um, has a master's in public health, worked here in Houston for a couple couple years, and is now working in the public health sector up at uh, up in Indiana. And so, I mean, if there's any interest in having him on the podcast, he's been dealing with this every day since it first happened. So, you know, I could easily tell him, hey, buddy, you got to come on my my sports podcast where we normally talk about basketball and I need you to talk about coronavirus for 30 minutes with me. I'm, I'm sure he'd be more than up for doing that um, to kind of better, better educate everybody, I should say. I'm stumbling over my words now. But I don't know. Um, if there's any interest in that, you guys let me know. I can have him come on and then we can kind of go from there. 
But seriously, just take care of yourselves, take care of your loved ones, uh, your friends, your family, all that. Stay safe out there. And I think with all that said, uh, we'll just we'll hit this first break. And then coming up, we'll talk with uh, Rockets Wire editor Ben DuBose. We'll get into our segments two and three where we talk about the Rockets and some of the themes with the team, which you know, hopefully will still mean something in the grand scheme of everything. But as of, as of right now, hopefully it can be a, just a, a nice little distraction uh, with everything going on, all things considered. So we'll get to that after this break. So don't go anywhere. And we are back in here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with Rockets Wire editor, Mr. Ben Bose. Now, Ben, as the team kind of dealt with that four-game slide, and you know, you could make the argument that that first loss against the Knicks wasn't a terrible loss. I mean, obviously they weren't super engaged for much of the game, but you come back, you give your you give yourself, you know, plenty of opportunities to win it, but then you come out and you get obliterated by the Clippers, by the Hornets, by the Magic, and then finally they come back, they have their bounce back win against the Timberwolves. Have have any of your general thoughts about this team changed? Or, you know, maybe has this this four-game slide, did it open up your eyes to any of the the issues with this team at large? I'm not so much alarmed from an X's and O's perspective. I think a lot of what's going on, it's the dog days of March. There might be a little bit of fatigue with the guys like P.J. Tucker that are veterans. I don't know how much of it is a smaller lineup. I think it's more of the time in the calendar that a lot of players, I think it's Matt Moore, HP Basketball, that's made the point several times that March results in the NBA can be really wonky. So I'm not so much worried about what happened between February and March. I don't think that teams around the NBA have suddenly found a new way to combat the small ball rockets. And quite frankly, if they did, I don't think that the Knicks, the Hornets, and the Magic would be at the front of the list in terms of who figured it out. You know, I think you'd see it more pronounced against the better teams who have been fixated on this for quite some time. And in fact, you know, the entire All-Star break was a time to tactically adjust, to map that out, and the Rockets had some of their best performances right after the break, after teams had a long time to study them. You better believe that the Jazz, that was their second game after the All-Star break. They were thinking about Houston the entire time. They knew the standings, the tiebreaker were on the line. So I don't really buy this idea. It's a little too simple to me that, well, teams just figured out what the Rockets were doing. I think some of it's just fatigue. I think some of it's randomness, the point in the year. What does worry me more than anything, Jackson, is that there does seem to be a degree of mental fragility to it. That's what concerns me. It's not so much that things went wrong in the first place. It's the spiraling effect. It's getting down 20 to nothing, not scoring for nearly seven minutes in Charlotte. It's the way things unravel so quickly against the Magic. You know, you've had you had five straight games in which they trailed by at least 17 points by the midway point in the second quarter. So when you repeatedly see these issues, I think back to before the half of the Orlando game, they were kind of in it. They were down 14. You had that crazy five-point play, which may have been a bad call. Then you had the three technicals, and it got up to 25, and they were never close. What worries me is just how quickly it unraveled in so many of these games. And hopefully D'Antoni is right that some of it, you know, you do tip your hat to the Clippers. Some of it was the Rockets just missing open shots. And then from that point, the Clippers are a very good team. You tip their hat, especially when they're making threes at the rate that they were, especially Kawhi that night. And then the weekend games, 
Charlotte. You didn't have Russell Westbrook, so maybe it's the perfect confluence of circumstances. But what worries me a little bit, it's not so much the tactical stuff, it's just the way that the Rockets seem to almost accept that this isn't our night this isn't our game, and they need to be a lot tougher than that if you're going to win four best-of-seven series in the playoffs. So it's one of those things, I'm not all of a sudden changing my view on the scheme, the rotation, what they need to do. I don't think they've changed dramatically from the success they had in February when they were beating the Lakers, the Jazz, the Mavericks, some of the best in the NBA. But I do worry a little bit about just how mentally fragile they appear to be. And the good thing, there are... I believe 18 games still left in the season, assuming there's no coronavirus disruption. So hopefully the last 18 games, you'll have some opportunities to prove that they've moved past this because right now I do have some questions based on how that four-game losing streak went. So kind of building on that, I think, and this isn't so much an issue with the scheme overall that I have because I do believe the small ball scheme works. I do think five out is the best possible option. The spacing of the floor, the allowing Russell Westbrook and James Harden the most space to operate within, you know, two of the best guards in, basically the two best guards in the NBA this season. And I think, though, there is legitimacy in the concern that small ball over a over an extended period of time will have a wear and tear effect on the team. What do you think about that aspect of it? It could, but I just don't think we're there yet. Because when you consider the timing of when this happened, Jackson, keep in mind, I mentioned the All-Star break, which is longer than usual now, basically nine days. This all started that Monday in New York. That's basically two weeks after they came back from the All-Star break. Actually, less than two weeks because February is such a uh, short month. So you're basically looking at, I think, 12 days, something like that. So I just have a tough time. They only went to small ball early in February, and then you had the week-plus All-Star break. Is it possible that asking a six foot five PJ Tucker to bang in the post against bigger guys night after night that could have a cumulative mileage effect that wouldn't be there if he's playing a smaller position, for example. Yeah, I think it's possible. And you could say the same for James Harden, who bangs in the post a lot, although he's been doing that anyway a lot, especially the last couple of seasons. I just have a tough time attributing this particular slump, this downturn to that. I think what's more likely is that it's less the small ball and it's more these are kind of the dog days of the calendar and P.J. Tucker, James Harden, these are the types of guys that you have had to ride really, really hard the last couple of years. And so I think it's more age-related than it is uh, style-related. Now, could the style play a small role? Possibly. But I think it's something that you want to look for more over the final month or so of the season that's left as opposed to what's been going on over the past week. So if we think it's something age-related and we think it might have something to do with, you know, just accumulative mileage, I should say, you know, with the age of this group of guys, you know, one of the oldest teams in the league, is there a reason then that we're not seeing, you know, a guy like Damari Carroll who's getting DNPs left and right when he's, you know, wasting away over there on the bench and could be a significant contributor out there on the court, no? I think that's where you're trying to balance the need for wins now with the bigger picture. And I thought, that Tuesday game against Minnesota was so telling. It's not just Amari not playing. Daniel House Jr. started that game and played 12 minutes. Yep. They were so desperate. You know, Eric Gordon played 30, and he had a minutes limit going in of 20. That's how much, and to EG's credit, he played his best in those final minutes when he hit two threes down the stretch. Hat tip. But I just think 
in the ideal scenario, because right now you're tied with the Thunder for the five seed, although they have the tiebreaker, you're a game back of the Jazz for the four seed. They're just so desperate for wins, especially because the next two games are a lot more difficult at LA, at Portland. We'll see if there's fans. But I think the Rockets right now, they've let so many winnable games slip away throughout the year. And of course, the Knicks, the Hornets, the Magic within the last 10 days or so that they just are reluctant to try anything out of the ordinary, which putting Damari Carroll in there for extended run would do. I do think that they want to do that, that they see that as a need down the stretch of the year, but they need first to stabilize themselves to where they're not in this state where they are just desperate to see something go right. Maybe that one against Minnesota gets them back on, you know, to full mental health, I suppose you would call it. Uh, James Harden, we saw him tapping his head saying, I'm back. If that's the case, I think it makes it a lot easier. But yeah, that's sort of the dilemma that I think you're going to see over the last month of the year. I don't think Damari Carroll was recruited and brought to Houston not to play. I think there was a plan to slowly integrate him more. I think they'd certainly like Daniel House Jr. to play more than 12 minutes. But I think now they're trying to balance it with this sudden sense of desperation after the last week. So hopefully it naturally resolves itself with the Rockets, everyone playing better. And if they play better, then that makes it easier to try and experiment when you're not afraid of letting the other team go on some 15 or 20 point run in the span of a few minutes. But if they don't, yeah, that's going to be a hard conversation that I think Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Moore are going to have to have in terms of balancing, okay, how much does our given seed matter versus, hey, we just need to prepare for the playoffs, do everything we can to manage these bodies, and even if we're the sixth seed, so be it. I don't know what the answer is. There's still time, but you're right that they're running out. And if the team doesn't stabilize within the next week or so, then yeah, you're just going to have to have a very tough conversation, I think, between D'Antoni and Gerald Morey, just sitting down and weighing, okay, how much do we care about the exact seed and trying to get home court advantage in at least round one, those types of factors. And how much do we say, you know, we're going to make the playoffs, even if it's even if it's the sixth or the seventh seed, we're going to make the playoffs no matter what. Our best chance is just having these guys healthy and in optimal physical condition by the playoffs. To me, that's the question, and hopefully we won't have to have that conversation because the Rockets uh, continue to play well. But at this point, considering they've just won one game after that four-game losing streak, I think it's certainly uh, too soon to declare that. Definitely maybe a little bit too soon, but coming up here in our final segment, we'll continue to talk Rockets. We'll talk everything about the team, and I do have a bit of a counterpoint that I want to make to Ben's last point, but we'll get there in just one second, so don't go anywhere. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. So to build on Ben's point from the end of the last segment, I do have a question for you, Ben. So if with Damari Carroll, if the issue, if the concern is, you know, wanting to stabilize and maybe not using, you know, a newer guy in the rotation like Damari Carroll, you know, focusing on, you know, the guys who I guess more or less know the system, you know, guys like Rivers and Gordon, then it I I want to buy that. But with a guy like Jeff Green getting so much burn, what's the difference? Now, I know Jeff Green is playing the small ball five, the backup to P.J. Tucker, but in a positionless system, what difference would it make having a new guy like Green out there versus a new guy like Damari Carroll? I think it's because even though they say it's positionless, 
the reality is there are only so many guys that they will throw out there at certain positions. I know that's the buzzword, but yeah, the five is different. That's why you see either P.J. or uh, Jeff Green out there at all times. You've seen them start to stagger the minutes of P.J. and Covington a little bit more, so they're not defensively deficient like they've been, especially when there's no P.J. or Covington and Ben McLemore's in the game. That's when they've been really bad defensively, and I think as much as they say that size doesn't matter, the fact is Jeff Green, 6'8", 6'9", he's got length, he's got a little bit of bulk, he can box out even though he doesn't have lofty rebounding totals, he is a body, he's someone with length, and so to me that's where it's different. Even though they say positionless basketball, I don't buy that that is 100% the case, and I do think that even though he's not a traditional center, he's got some length that's fairly rare on this Rockets team, combination of length and a little bit of bulk, and I think they see that as something that uh, they have to have. Whereas with Carroll, his skill set, I don't know if his exact skill set, but I should say his body type, it's a little bit more duplicated. He's not that different from Daniel House, from Eric Gordon, well, he's taller than than Ben McLemore, but you can throw Ben McLemore in there at the wing spots. And so I think it's a little bit tougher for uh, Carroll to earn those minutes. To me, that's the difference. It's not totally uh, positionless basketball. And I think with Carroll, he's either needing someone to work their way out of the rotation, and maybe that's happening with Daniel House. I'd hate to see that be the case, but I do think that's part of why you brought in Damari Carroll to have a veteran hedge to Daniel House Jr. Maybe that's the opportunity for him because I don't think you're going to see Eric Gordon play 30 minutes on all that regular of a basis. I also think, I'm sure you've noticed because you beat the drum on Ben McLemore before in his defense, we've seen some very quick hooks from D'Antoni on McLemore even when he is shooting the ball well because defensively he can be such a liability. Maybe that's uh, the the path for Carroll. But to me, relative to Green, it's just the body type. It's not positionless even if they say it is. Yeah, I mean, even just against the Timberwolves in the win, uh, Ben McLemore, with only 10 minutes played, hit both of his three-point shots, so it's not like he was playing poorly. He was doing his job well. You inject him into the lineup, you get some life, you get some spacing, and you hope that he hits whatever shot attempts he hits or gets while he's in the game. And then D'Antoni pulls him back out, you know, goes more towards a bit of a defensive-minded lineup or a defensive-minded person at that position. So getting to... I guess we'll go to James Harden next. And this, I think this series of losses and kind of where some of the struggles for this team were faced were with James Harden's lack of play or his his struggles, I guess is the best way to put it. And it's funny because you look at his numbers and you know his numbers still jump off the page even in games sure. where he struggles, except for maybe the, the 16 points against the Clippers were pretty lackluster. But everything past that, I mean, his numbers still look pretty substantial, but for people that watch James Harden all the time, you know, who cover the Rockets beat, we know that this was a a different version of James or a version that was maybe a little bit more disinterested at times on the court. And I've been making the point that I think, and this is just eye test, I am not so sure that the five out spacing is as optimal for James Harden as it is for Russell Westbrook. How do you feel about that? I agree. I think there's something to be said for the lob threat um, mattering for James because his game is not as predicated on getting to the rim as it is for Russell Westbrook. James, his game is a bit more diverse, and I think it's especially dangerous, the combination of a lack of a lob threat and how cold the Rockets have been from three-point range of late, because that's where... You also, you don't have the lob threat, the vertical spacing, 
but you also have defenses packing the paint more because they're not respecting guys like Daniel House Jr. in the corner because he's not making them. And many times, as Antonio has pointed out, he's not even taking them. So you see the paint even more constricted. And while James certainly can drive to the bu- to the bucket. He doesn't have that lightning quick first step that Russell Westbrook does to where the athleticism can just overcome everything. For James, it's a bit more of a blend. And so to me, the combination of no vertical spacing and suboptimal shooting, I think that's really difficult on him. And yes, some of the suboptimal shooting is Harden himself. He has not been the same shooter, although 5 of 10 from 3 against the Timberwolves. Hopefully that's a sign of good things to come. We saw him saying, I'm back. But yeah, his teammates, his game is a little more complex than what Russell's is. With Russell, it's easy to understand, and in hindsight, pretty really odd to think that Oklahoma City never tried this in his 11 years with the Thunder. With James, yeah, I think he needs more of a balanced approach, and I think You can potentially mitigate it if the team is making their threes, and that's the hope, I think, for the Rockets. That's part of why I think uh, D'Antoni is on them to keep shooting more threes. You unlock it for James. But yeah, the lack of a big man, the small ball approach, combined with not making three-pointers, I think that really shuts off a lot of options for James that we're used to seeing him have over his uh, now eight years in Houston. And in that, in a similar light, and this is the one that, you know, I've been kind of beating this drum a little bit, and so has so is Roosh and you know a few other people. But and I, this isn't me advocating for James Harden to suddenly turn into Russell Westbrook or to turn into Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant and start shooting volume mid range shots. But I do think that the diversity of his game took a hit by losing that vertical lob threat. And now, you know, James Harden is a guy who's completely bought into the Mori Ball system of threes, uh, dunks, and layups, and, and free throws, obviously, a big part of his game. And to see him now, when he does, you know, make an attempt at the basket, or if he catches the ball somewhere in that mid-range area, it does frustrate me a little bit to watch him do his, you know, his usual, his backpedal it out to the three-point line, because you know what's coming at that point. You know he's going to settle for a step-back three or try to reset and get another drive at the basket, and if I can see that as just somebody watching the games, then I know that the professionals who are paid, you know, millions of dollars to game plan against James Harden, they know what he's going to be doing, and so I would like to see him factor in just a little bit, like two shots a game from the mid-range to at least keep defenses honest. Do you think that's too much to ask? No, I don't think it is, especially one thing that I have not looked up, but as you were explaining that, what really jumped into my mind, there's a stat that I use a lot to push back against the angry mob on Twitter that thinks all the Rockets do is isolation and dribble, 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 and shoot with one second left in the shot clock. And I pointed this out a week ago, I think going into the Clipper game, they were, I believe, second last in the, or they were the second fastest pace, and they were in the bottom four in shots in the final four seconds of the shot clock. I would bet a lot of money that in the past week, those numbers have not been as rosy because you've seen a lot of possessions where they ask James Harden to bail them out. And then once it gets late in the shot clock, you know exactly what's coming because he's going to try and get himself into that step back three and defenders know that more and more and they're contesting it better than ever because he's not going to take that mid-range shot. And in terms of why that is, again, I think it's 
a confluence of factors. I think not having the vertical spacing, as we talked about, not having the, the three-point shooters, just James being out of rhythm. There's a lot of reasons why that for James, it's not humming like it was a couple of months ago. But in terms of how you fix it, yeah, unless he's going to do something radically different from an X's and O's perspective, and that's not within his control. Now, it can change if you make more three-pointers or if you had more vertical spacing, although I'm not sure where that's going to come from. Maybe Jeff Green, you have seen a little bit more pick-and-roll with Jeff Green of late. Maybe you start seeing Harden and Jeff being a good combination. We'll have to wait and see. But in terms of what James can control, if those other factors aren't really working his way, then the best thing that he can do is to make his game more diverse. And right now, defenders, either he's trying to get to the to the rim for a layup, James is, or he's trying to back his way into that step back three. And so I think even if it's a couple of shots a game, increasing the variance, that's what he can control. Now, I think in a perfect world, one reason why you're not seeing the Rockets really hammer home is that if they're shooting threes the way they normally do and making them at a better rate, then maybe it's not necessary. But in terms of controlling what James can control, yes, I'm with you. That's something that independently he can do to kind of prevent the offense from being as sticky and gummed up as it has been at times over the last five games. And that's something that a lot of people we've been, you know, have been pointing to is, oh, well, you know, the plan A for the Rockets is, you know, make their threes and then, you know, what's the plan B? And I don't necessarily view that completely as a plan B. You know, I view it as just, you know, like you said, what can James control in the in the in the flow of a game across an entire 48 minutes? You know, if he sees that the defense is is not staying home at home on shooters because they're not making their shots and they're, you know, loading up a bit more on him or on Russ, what is within his control? And I think using that a little bit can help without radically changing the game plan. But one other element that I do think was really important in the Timberwolves win was they were getting into their offensive sets quicker. They were getting shots up faster during that stretch, you know, tail into the third quarter, well into the fourth quarter. And a big part of that was Russell Westbrook, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think so when Harden has been struggling, which really started with the Boston game, it seems like they've been a little bit more back to basics, the Rockets, in terms of running their offense through James. I think in part because they want to get him going. They know to get where they want to go. Priority one is always getting James Harden right. That more than anything, more than role players, more than X's and O's, that is how you fix the Houston Rockets. That is always the priority. And so giving him more touches, you give him a better shot of getting in rhythm. I understand that. However, in terms of the overall offense, yeah, Russell Westbrook is so decisive with what he does. We talked a lot in our last exchange about predictability, or in this case, unpredictability, wanting to kind of increase your variance in terms of what defenses have to respect. To me, that's what Russell Westbrook does, because with Westbrook, he's such a threat to take it to the rim at any point to push the pace early in the clock. And so there's a fine line. Again, you want James Harden to get in rhythm, you need him to snap out of the slump. And the best way to do that is to run your offense through him to get him touches. But at the same time, for the team, you also need variance. And so that's sort of where, again, I think a lot of these problems, if there's a theme to what we've discussed in this podcast, it's that, well, if you fix one problem, another is going to fall in line. And I think this is another example of that in which there's a balance in that Yes, you need to get James Harden going, and in doing so, you're 
probably giving him a few more touches at the expense of Russell Westbrook than when Westbrook was really going in January and February. But at the same time, once James Harden gets going again, and hopefully Tuesday is the start of that, then all of a sudden it gives you more freedom, I think, to go back to using Russ the way you did in that two-plus-month stretch in which he was insanely dominant. And so, to me, all these problems are interconnected, but if you can just get one or two of them fixed, if you can just have James Harden continue to be the guy that he was, especially in the second half against the Timberwolves, then yeah, all of a sudden I think it makes you a lot less worried about how many touches he needs. You can get it to Russell more, and then if you get to Russell more, then you're going to be fixing your shot clock problems because Russell inherently is going to get you involved, your offense, a lot earlier in the shot clock. Yeah, for just for some reference, James Harden did not shoot over 37% from the field over a course of five different games. So that started with the road game against Boston, where he shot just over 29%, and then didn't break 37% again until the Timberwolves game, where he shot a really respectable 58% from the floor. So had himself a really good game for the first time in a while. And here's my thing, and this will be the last question that we kind of sign off with, and it's kind of a loaded question. And we may not, there may not even be a proper answer to it at this point, but you spoke to Russell Westbrook's dominant stretch for much of January and, you know, kind of the evolved new version of Russ that we've seen where he's been getting more touches, you know, limiting the three point shots, being more efficient. Does it speak to why, like, why is it that the Rockets found themselves struggling so much in January with Russ carrying the team versus earlier in the season when James Harden was carrying the team and Russ was playing? Uh, some of, you know, some, I don't want to say frustrating basketball, but not some of his best basketball possible. Yeah, that's the question. And I think it goes back to the idea that the Rockets will go as far as James can take them. That's always been sort of the storyline of this team. And even though you now have Russell Westbrook, you had Chris Paul in 2017-2018, Harden is at the core of what they do. And I think a lot of the advanced numbers reflect that even in this stretch where Westbrook has been out of this world and some of the efficiency numbers, or more traditional, I should say, not efficiency, in terms of the efficiency, you still see Harden near the top of the entire NBA. He's just that important. And I think that Russell does a great job of picking up the slack when James doesn't have it going as he didn't in January. But I think it's less about, and some people that are Westbrook critics will say that, well, the Rockets or whatever team Westbrook is on isn't as good when he's doing that. I don't think it's necessarily that. I think Westbrook is aware that the Rockets really need James Harden to be at his best to win a title. That's their formula. The Rockets are flawed. They don't have a lot of size or, well, they do have versatility now, but certainly defensively, they're not the most talented team in the league. You are dependent on these two MVPs, and in the case of Harden, the most transcendent player when he's right, one of the top two or three of this generation. And so I think a lot of the time, Westbrook has gotten more efficient, but in terms of when he has his crazy games, like 35 and 10 or 40 plus, a lot of those come when James Harden doesn't have it going and Westbrook has to pick up the slack. And so to me, that's sort of the difference. It's not so much that well, you can't run your offense through Russell Westbrook. No, it's that you always want to run your offense through Harden. He's the guy, and there are just times that, for whatever reason, it's not working 
in a given game. Westbrook tries to pick up the slack, and sometimes, at least individually, he's able to do that with a nice line, but it doesn't give you the team result in terms of whether you win the game or you don't. To me, Westbrook's performance, I don't know if you would say it's more consistent, but I just don't think the Rockets are as dependent, their formula on winning, the way they have constructed this roster. Now, maybe that's changed since the All-Star break with the move to small ball, which is built around certainly getting Russell Westbrook driving lanes. The sample size since then is so small that it'd be kind of reckless to speculate on that this early. But I think in the grand scheme, it's just a matter of some of Westbrook's individual numbers. It shouldn't be a shot at him. It's just he does that when James Harden is struggling to pick up the slack, so to speak. And so I think when the Rockets are at their best, Westbrook doesn't have to do all of that because James Harden is the guy that we expected him to be going into this season, the guy he was really through January 3rd, the guy who was on the unguardable tour a year ago. Russell Westbrook is a really good player, but he's not an all-time great, at least at this point. James Harden is an all-time great. James Harden has a gear that even Russell Westbrook doesn't, and that's not a shot at Russ. That's just a reminder of how special James Harden is. And so to me, I think that's kind of the dichotomy that a lot of fans aren't getting. It's not so much that, well, you run your offense through Russell Westbrook and you're making a mistake. No, it's that a lot of those Russell numbers, at least the crazy scoring numbers, the volume stats, those rise when Harden is struggling. It's not a tactical choice. And so if you fix Harden, if you get him right, then inherently Russ is going to have a little bit less in terms of the counting stats, the volume. And if that's the case, I think both Russ and the Rockets are fine with that because Harden is going to win you basketball games most likely when that is occurring. So you think it's less of an indictment on Russ you know, not being able to quote unquote right. carry a team and more that he just he functions better in an ancillary role to James Harden's, you know, transcendent yeah. play when he's got it going. Yeah, I think going into the year, Harden was the Batman to Westbrook's Robin. And that's not a shot at Russ. It's just a reminder of how elite James Harden is. That's why for the most part, in the clutch, unless it's a game that Harden is really struggling or Westbrook is just on fire, you still see the offense run through Harden, especially in the half court. Now, in transition, it's a little bit different, but especially better teams when the ball, when things get sticky and slowed down, James Harden is a better half court player, especially at this juncture of their careers. That's just the reality of it, assuming he's right. Now, the last couple of months, it's been hit or miss, but I think, yeah, it's less of an indictment on Russ, and it's more just about how special James Harden is. We saw him do it all of last season. We saw him do it through early January this year. Now, since then, it's been a lot more hit or miss. But yeah, it's less of an indictment on uh, Westbrook, and it's more a reflection of the fact that, hey, the Rockets are built around their formula, James Harden being Batman. He's the guy. And so sometimes when Westbrook gets those higher numbers, a lot of it is a reflection of the fact that he takes on a higher workload in a given game because James Harden is struggling. So to me, those losses, that record, it's less about, okay, the team is worse because you're going through Russ. It's more about the team is worse because James Harden is not playing that well in that game. So when when James Harden is struggling and Westbrook is stepping his game, it's more like uh, the Batman Beyond movie where it's old man <laughs> Batman and then I can't remember the because it's not yeah. Nightwing. I'm getting my, getting my superheroes mixed up. But anyways, that was my attempt at trying to crack some uh, DC comic humor into the podcast. But, uh, you know, thank you for your time, Ben. You know the drill. You want to go ahead and plug your stuff before we get you out of here? Yeah, just rocketswire.ushtoday.com. Uh, That's the website. I also have coverage of the team, the ongoing coronavirus situation, everything else. If something has changed from when we recorded this 
Wednesday afternoon, late evening, and uh, by the time you're listening to this on Thursday, that's where you can find it. Also, The Rockets Wire on Twitter and Ben Dubose on Twitter, which is my name. Jackson, as always, thanks so much for having me. We appreciate you taking the time. Have a good one, man. You too. And one more time for Mr. Ben Dubose, Rockets Wire editor and Locked On Rockets special analyst. Always love having him here on the podcast. So much insight. Great basketball talk whenever I have been on the pod with me. So with that, I think that's where we will sign off for today. As always, thank you all so very much for listening. And we look forward to having you back again right here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.